How would you like to learn how to build a seven-figure Airbnb business from a guy who's built three eight-figure businesses, including a seven-figure one in STRs? Well, that's what you're going to learn today with Bill Faith here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you are serious about building your short-term rental business to $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000 a month or more, you have come to the right place. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we teach you all things short-term rentals. The best guests, the best tools, the best strategies. There are so many investing paths out there. It can be seriously overwhelming to start out as a new investor, but take it from me, short-term rentals is the best and the quickest way to build your cash flow. So buckle up, listen in, and get ready to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Here we go. Hey team fearless, I just want to take a quick break from this podcast to talk about funding your furnishings. If you're listening to the Fearless Investor podcast, then you probably want to do the Airbnb arbitrage model. Reason being, it's a low barrier of entry, right? $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 to buy furniture with someone else's property. And sure, you can use your own bank account or you can raise the money at a low interest rate from a friend or family member. But wouldn't you rather get that money at 0% interest, aka free money? That's what my friends at Pathway Financial can do for you. Pathway Financial helps people like you get 0% interest credit cards so you don't have to have the financial stress of putting down a ton of money up front for your deals. Think about that for a second. How many arbitrage deals could you do if money was not a concern? Well, that could be the exact possibility with Pathway Financial's help. Get a free quote from them today. Go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash pathway financial to find out how much you can get pre-approved for right now. And don't worry, it won't have any impact on your credit score because it's a soft inquiry. So go once again to fearlesskyle.com forward slash pathway financial and get that free quote. Hey, Fearless community, before we get the show started, I want to let you know that you now have the chance to get direct access to me in order to grow and strengthen your short-term rental business. How? The Six Figure Formula Membership. I'm the only one in this space offering this value-packed membership for a stupid, stupid low price of $49 per month, and you get access to me, my podcast guests, you get to be a part of our amazing private community, you get our full A to Z business in a box STR kickstart course, and maybe most exciting, especially for me, you get exclusive discounts that we worked for months to get that no one else is getting out there. Price Labs, AirDNA, NoiseAware, HostAway, and so many more at your fingertips. So become a part of this 6FF movement. Get started today for just $49 a month at fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF. Hey, what's going on, Team Fearless? Kyle Stanley here. Really excited to have you back on the Fearless Investor Podcast. And we're getting away a little bit more from like Airbnb and short-term rental strategy today and a little bit more into just how do you build a legit business And how do you build one based off of just really great marketing as well? Bill Faith is one of the best in the business when it comes to marketing. He's built over three $30 million businesses in his time, a lot in the golf uh, realm of things, but also one in short-term rentals uh, at seven figures where he owns some properties and also coasts for some people as well. Now, Bill does a really unique strategy, uses a really unique strategy when it comes to marketing and targeting audiences. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But what I really want you to get out of today is just how Bill really is just willing to do the things that most successful people are not willing to do. And that is the difference between success and 
living paycheck to paycheck or living an average lifestyle. So we're going to have a lot of conversations like that today with Bill Faith here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. Let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. And we've got a long overdue guest. i uh, been meaning to get Bill Faith on this show for a long time. He and Mike Shogren have hosted still to this day, the largest STR for hosts and for the Serious Business Builders event uh, in the space with the WealthCon. Uh, I wasn't able to be here this last year because we had our daughter, but the year before was just on fire and I would have Priorities. expected it probably would be the, the, the same the second year. But uh, Bill, brother, excited to have you on, excited to even go beyond STRs as we talk about how you've been able to build some really successful businesses and uh, and dive deep into that. So thanks for jumping on, man. I'm really excited to be here. Those of you that don't know my background, I'm from I'm really neighbors. I grew up right down the road from Kyle and Bakersfield. So we're going to talk about grapes and you know all this different type of Central Valley stuff today, right? And I don't care what anyone says, Fresno and Bakersfield. I mean, there's just there's no way you can compare Fresno to Bakersfield. I've been to Bakersfield and I feel like I'm going to get shot at every single corner there. Fresno, we at least have like that part of the the town where it's like, okay, it's not farms, it's not ghetto. Like this is actually nice. So I. I just haven't seen that in Bakersfield, brother. Well, I can tell you where it is. It's a small little five block, uh, you know, area on the west side of town. There's a reason that I, I drove through Tehachapi and moved to Nashville, Tennessee 21 years ago. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. Well, we're live here in the, the Six Figure Formula Group, too. If you are listening on recording, you're missing out on the, the live experience. Caroline just posted saying she's actually in uh, Ripon, not too far away, or Ripon. I know, I've never known how to say that. Rip on. I don't even know uh, where that is. Yeah, I've never been, but I've heard good things about their STR uh, business there too, because it's kind of like a small area uh, with not a whole lot of competition. So I'll tell you what, I've got some friends that are crushing it on the Kern River on the north side of Bakersfield. There's about seven to 10 uh, STRs I'm aware of that are absolutely still even right now annihilating it there. I can't believe nice. it. But yeah, there's there's pockets. There's park pockets everywhere. Caroline says it's between Modesto and Manteca. So there you nice. go. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, let's let's jump into it, man. And uh, as always, what's the craziest STR story that you have for our audience today? Team Fearless wants to hear all about it. Um. Yeah. Honestly, I don't have that many crazy stories. It kind of. Um, I don't know. I never had a raging party or That's you know good. major destruction or anything like that. But I will tell you when I purchased my second STR which I think is the hardest one when you're building out a portfolio is number two. I ended up losing 126 grand, which almost just crippled me and almost cut me off at my knees because I have this innate problem, Kyle, and it's trying to help people. And it gets mm. me in a lot of fucking trouble about four or five times through the course of my life. And I tried to help this contractor that really turned out to be a handyman. I didn't do my due diligence. He wasn't licensed. I just, I just didn't know what I was doing when I got into this. And my second property literally almost you know, cut me off at the knees. And uh, that's kind of the story. Well, I got to imagine too, though, that trying to help people has done more good for you than has done bad. It, it, you know, you're a helper. I'm a helper. I mean, I, I, I believe in the motto, give more than you expect to receive. I believe in reciprocity. There's no question that I, I have benefited tremendously. And I'm not talking about financially, but really just from seeing people grow and achieve their life dreams. I was a college golf coach at Cal State Bakersfield. And it started that way and it's manifested through my whole educational career. I wouldn't change a thing for the world, but there were some check boxes I didn't check that are now in my process that I learned on that $126,000 mistake in number two. That would be kind of my, my craziest story. Okay. Well, hey, stuff happens, but you like, I mean, you know, just look at the title of the podcast today, How Bill Faith 
built three $30 million businesses. I'm sure you've recovered from that, learned a few things. And, and you even mentioned there, you know, that you were a golf coach. And I, I that's kind of where I want to now go back to is uh, before we go into what are all these businesses, aside from just STRs and how you've been able to build success, especially in short-term rentals, what was life like for, for Bill back in the day before you were building businesses? I mean, I started, actually started building my first business with the help of my mother. Um, nice. I was selling t-shirts in her 1984 Ford Tempo at uh, Bakersfield High School, West Bakersfield High School at high school football games. I had played in what's called a junior am, like a pro-am in golf, but I was a junior and we had amateurs playing with us. Met a guy named Jay Jacoby down in Los Angeles and uh, he gave me like 20 shirts. He was a t-shirt manufacturing uh, business. And back in the day, I don't know if anybody's old enough, but if you remember kind of the Zubaz pants and the, the late 80s, early 90s, the workout pants, the crazy shirts, they almost looked like they were, you know, almost like airbrush. And so it was Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and all these guys. And he gave them to me and my mom because he knew we didn't have much money. Wasn't okay. dirt poor, but my mom was a teacher, you know, probably never made more than 35 grand a year in her life. And uh, my mom taught me how to sell. My mom taught me about not really P&Ls, but about man, you know, expense and how you need to mark up the T-shirt to make profit. Because I would have to pay Jay, you know, five bucks a shirt, and I started selling them at like seven fifty. And eventually, the, after the second or third go around, they were twenty, twenty-five bucks, you know, for these shirts. So yeah. my mom really taught me. She was a teacher, then she was a vice principal, then she was a, like a superintendent of schools, then she bought my sophomore year in high school a preschool. Uh, in Bakersfield, California. And I was with her. I had no father growing up. So she was my mom and my dad. And she kind of taught me how to run a business when I was 16, 17 years old. And it turned out to be somewhat successful. I mean, me and two friends sold over $100,000 in t-shirts in one high school football season. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So your your mom uh, being a teacher, you know, my mom was a teacher in Fresno and she never had any business experience. So did your mom have business experience or like where... Where did that intuition come from for her? I think it probably came from my grandfather, her father. He was one of the the founding eight members of Super 8 Motels out of uh, Aberdeen, South Dakota. But my whole family was in education. There was no entrepreneurship outside. Mm -hmm. of, and that was kind of like a silent uh, investment. But my grandfather was super wicked smart. He played professional sports. He was a teacher and a principal. Same thing, same track. My grandmother was a 1984 national uh, teacher of the year as a, in the country as a kindergarten teacher. So I think, nice. I don't know where that entrepreneurial drive came from, from my mother, but I sure am freaking glad that she did it. Cause I think that's really what I kind of hearken back to for an older term to where that's where I kind of got started on my entrepreneurial journey. Got it. And so didn't hear a mention of dad was she a single mom or did you? Yeah. Have uh, my parents got divorced when, uh, roughly when I was four or five in Paso Robles, my mom moved to Bakersfield, became a teacher. I would get the the prototypical, you know, father car, you know, birthday card once a year that was signed mm -hmm. your father, Ed had zero relationship. And in 1991 is when I graduated from high school, I was down in Southern California and I was paired in the California state high school championships, actually with a kid from good friend from Visalia, uh, Joe Acosta, and another good friend named Eldrick Woods. Eldrick nice. was already a big deal. People yeah. know him as Tiger. He showed up. I literally came up and on the range 10 minutes before I started to play. And that was the last time I ever saw him. I said, you know what? You can't be here when I'm doing this. You, you don't, you didn't earn the right. I don't ever want to see you again. And so that was the last first and last time I really have any recollection of my father. So my mom and my grandparents, really my grandfather was my father figure, but 
one of the things I look back as an adult, I was always seeking out father figures. And I was very fortunate to have good friends. Mike Knight, his dad, Gary, you know, was just, he was my dad growing up. I mean, he took me to basketball practice. He taught Mike how to fish. He taught me how to fish. But I didn't learn, Kyle, how to change. I don't know how to change oil in a car. I don't know how to change a tire. I can't install this ceiling fan. I didn't have a dad to ever teach me that stuff. So, like, thank God I married my wife who does all that shit with our (laughs) short-term rentals. She had a dad that taught her that stuff. But I think the one thing, like, my mom, if you remember back in the day, there was, like, Mervyn's and Payless and all these old-school stores. So my mom was a teacher, and then she worked, you know, multiple jobs at, like, Mervyn's, and she'd work there during holidays. The biggest thing I think my mom ever did for me outside, forget about the t-shirt business, in third grade, I became what, and I don't even know if this term is around today, a latchkey kid. I had to take care of myself. I had to get myself, mm. she would she would leave at 6.30 in the morning to drive 30 minutes out to Shafter, California to go go teach. She didn't even teach in Bakersfield. Oh, she wow. just didn't want to raise me in a small town in, in Shafter like that. So she's gone. I had to cook for myself in the morning. I had to get myself dressed. I had to get to the bus, get to school. You know, I'd go to basketball, soccer practice afterwards at school. Then I would I'd fig- have to fig- ride my bike home and take care of my snacks because she'd go straight to Mervyn's to work. And I wouldn't see her till 7 or 8 o'clock at night. I kind of felt lonely as a kid, but man, did that shape my life in a positive way of how she nurtured me, but also how she educated me through those challenging and difficult experiences. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I, I feel like there's so much there that I, in so many ways that I can take that, but I guess to bring it back to really when you actually started this first business with her help and you saw this success, right? What was, I mean, first of all, like, let's just talk about that. You were a teenager. Were you even a teenager yet? Yeah, I was 16 when we started. 16, okay. So you're 16 years old. You've grossed over $100,000 in one season with your mom's help and pairing it up with a buddy of yours. Did you kind of look at each other and say like, well, what the heck, what else can we do? Or did you decide like? Not at all. uh, I had just quit playing basketball and soccer. I played varsity basketball. Uh, I was playing travel, you know, like club soccer, not AYSO stuff. And I quit to go all in in golf um, at the beginning of my sophomore year because I was starting to get relatively good. And at that time, I was just, you know, we couldn't afford for me to play what's called the AJGA, the American Junior Golf. So it's like the PJ Tour. So I was just playing around Central to go into Fresno, go into LA, play Southern California Junior Golf. And she said, look, we just, you just made more money than I will make in the next two years. So we have to pay taxes on this. So whatever it was, I don't know, 10, 20%. There was nothing mm-hmm. back then. She's all, like, we're going to put this in a, in a savings account. She didn't know anything about stock market or, you know, any of that type of stuff. And we're going to use this so you can travel the next year. So what happened was, is at the very end of that season, we took some of the money and, and she said, I want you to apply to some of these AJGA tournaments. And I did, because you had to apply to get in. And now they have this whole qualifying system. And based on my record, I got accepted to come to Kentucky, like the very lowest end tournament at the end of the year. Okay. And I was fortunate enough to win. Um, nice. I won my first national championship. So basically, now I'm going into, I'm out of my sophomore year, summer between sophomore and junior year. We probably spent $20,000, me going and playing as many big tournaments as I can. I, The junior worlds, the U.S. junior championships, traveling all over the country, because that's how you got recruited, you know, mm. back then. And you had to play in that stuff. Nobody comes to look at local you know, high school tournaments, even at the state level. So we used that money for that. And then I was good, but I wasn't great. I'd won a national championship. That doesn't guarantee a scholarship. The following year, my junior year, 
Uh, I finished third in the world. I won like four national championships. I was ranked third in, in the United States coming out for all junior golfers. I was getting offers from every single university. And then that's when, you know, I don't really know what happened to that money. But for all I know, my mom needed to use it for us. I, I don't mm. know. But that's when uh, we kind of just got in and knew what was going to happen. You know, I look back today, I probably would have put that for my kids in a 529 or investment account or something like that. But she just didn't know about that stuff. Mm. You know, she taught. We went to McDonald's to eat or she would cook spam and eggs for dinner and breakfast and that type of stuff. And we were okay. You know, we weren't poor. I didn't miss a meal. I mean, I'm still, you know, showing some pounds there. <laughs> but you know what? She did. She put me first. Everything was about me. And the one thing that I learned, the, the preschool she bought was called Happy Land. And I'll never forget the first lesson she said. It, and she talked about marketing. She was doing newspaper ads. And she even spent money on, like, radio commercials, which she didn't have. And she said, you know, the one thing that I've learned, I don't really know how to run, run a business. And I'm paraphrasing. It's not, I can't remember that long ago. Mm -hmm. But that's when I learned marketing and at least I learned the principle of how important it was. And, you know, whether it's a $30 million business or a coffee shop around the corner or an STR, I believe that the best marketing wins. I shouldn't yeah. say I believe I can prove it against anything. It's not always the best property, the best business or the best product. The best marketing will win. People like Steve Jobs will tell you the exact same thing. Apple did not have the best product you know, when Jobs was alive. I think the BlackBerry was probably superior in the early days. The Trio might have been superior. There was a lot of problems they had with their first computers after the Apple IIe and a lot of iterations that didn't make it. But you know what he did? He branded and he marketed. Yeah. Um, and you can see those use cases across a lot of major companies as well as small companies. I, I totally agree. I talk a lot about how I started a business back in 2012 and it lasted for about six years. And four of those years were probably four years too long that it lasted because the writing was on the wall. But one of the things I look back in that business about is I, I knew nothing about marketing and I got into an MLM. I learned a lot about marketing and I'm like, man, if I could have applied so many of the things about both internet marketing and just the things I learned within that MLM to that business back in the day, now, though, I, I apply it to everything. So what are some things that you learned about marketing early on that have helped you in all of the businesses that you've been in? I would say that one of the big things for me was just brute force and that you have to do it. So I didn't know how to do it. My, my first big business that I did, I was still playing professional golf mm -hmm. in 93, two years. So let me just give you a really quick timeline. I graduated in 91, full ride UCLA. I was there for not even a full year. I didn't finish. I won three tournaments out of five tournaments. My freshman year, I thought I was the shit. I dropped out. I turned professional. My grandfather, my mother said, you're on your own. If you're giving up a full ride, we're, we, we're all educators. They wanted me to get my education. Sure. I didn't have any money. So I had, to, had a good friend, Buck Owens, uh, who was a country music legend, gave me 25 grand to get started. And I kind of parlayed that into making some, some significant money, significant meaning over $100,000 back in those days. And I was able to go to South America and I stayed with this family 20 minutes outside of Sao Paulo, Brazil in my second year down there in 1994. And they were, we'd stay in housing so we could stay for free, right? And I'll never forget Chad Kermill from Houston, myself, we're staying with a family of 11 and we both have like these cots that we're staying on, no air conditioning. And literally like there's an Adobe like hut behind their house, which is only two, really two or three bedrooms. And I mean like two or three rooms, like a kitchen and a family room and then a sleeping room. And they're hand making Brazilian like sarongs and swimsuits and 
all this swimwear. Long story short, between that year and the next year, I spent all the money that I made playing golf in Asia and South America, $198,000. I'll never forget the number to build an e-commerce website. Wow. The same thing you and I can do today, literally for about 1500 bucks and four or five hours on Shopify. Right. right? And so I started drop shipping uh, stuff from them. Uh, the next year I went back six months later, showed them the website, had all the sizes and I built Bell Aqua bikinis. That was my first acquisition. Uh, after about 26 months, I got acquired uh, by Venus uh, Swimwear. And this was back in what year? 1994, 95. So an e-commerce store when most people didn't even know what the internet was. Netscape, AOL chat rooms. That's how we were doing everything back then. It was just brute force. I had six friends. Um, I started by myself. And then when I was out playing, I had six friends that were literally pounding chat rooms was the majority of everything we were doing. And we were trying to do some stuff on Netscape, which was very challenging uh, back then. So I totally understand the the brute force and I and I get that. But maybe something that's like tangible and you can feel it for our audience right now. What's one thing that you learned even as we've gotten into a newer age where you don't have to worry about chat rooms and everything? What's one thing that you do in all of your businesses today from a marketing standpoint that you're like, I would do this in short-term rentals. I would do this in any of my businesses. What's one thing that our audience could learn from? Direct response marketing to your buyer mm -hmm. persona. Don't, I mean, too many people are spending 3000 4000 5000 dollars on websites and trying to SEO them to, you're not going to SEO out, you're not going to out SEO Airbnb, Verbo, Vacasa, Evolve. You just can't do it. The brand isn't big enough. Right. Right. So you can do a, a little bit of, of, of search engine optimization when you're building out a sales page, you're building out a website, but it's direct response marketing. Um, you know, that's LinkedIn ads, Facebook, like if you're going after travel nurses, business travelers, that type of stuff. You should be living in LinkedIn. That's where your buyer persona is, right? And like nobody talks about travel managers. Um, if you're in urban areas, they're the ones that control the large travel budgets for these Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies. And they're booking for hundreds, sometimes thousands. So I built my limousine, my ground transportation business, literally direct response marketing going after travel managers, right? So then the other part is if you're vacation rentals, if you're non-urban areas, that type of stuff, identify the top markets that your people are coming from, target those markets with direct response ads. You know, you can use Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I use Facebook for everything, everything. I probably deployed six, 15 to $17 million of Facebook ads in my career. And I started with Google ads. I also believe we need to do a little bit of Google ads, very easy to set up, at least protect your brand name so like one of the things that I I do for my own properties and I teach for free, you know, like we do reels and all that, you know, podcasts, all that shit is make sure you have a picture of your brand, you know, in your listing, make sure you write underneath it. Hey, welcome to Dragonfly in Gulf Shores, Alabama, because some people don't know the difference between Fresno, Tulare, Visalia, right. or Bakersfield or, you know, Orange Beach, Gulf Shores or Fort Morgan or Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg or Sevierville, right? And then make sure if you don't have any SEO, like if you go and you type in, you know, Dragonfly, Gulf Shores, and you don't see your result as number one or two below the paid ads, then literally just go spend $2 a day in Google ads to protect your brand, right? So that way, those people that are smart and savvy that know they don't want to pay Airbnb, Verbo, TripAdvisor fees, they can literally search for your brand and then go back. So there's many ways we can use direct response marketing. And I'm going to give you my biggest tip. This is the biggest thing that I will give to most people they don't do. 
understand how shitty your hosting is in the markets that you're invested into, right? So like when I go to Banner Elk, North Carolina, that's because I don't want to compete in Gatlinburg. When I go to Gulf Shores, I don't want to compete in 30A, right? I'm going where prices are lower, entry costs me less, returns are very similar, and the hosting is not as comparable, right? So one of the things I do is I drop pins in my areas for Facebook okay. ads, and then I am sending ads to people that are there having a shitty experience. And I yep. give them my value proposition about, hey, here's the three things I'm gonna do for you if you let me have the opportunity to earn your business next year when you come back. And it's basically their pain points, pain point and solution, right? So that's the biggest thing. I can't even tell you how many leads I acquire from people that have had shitty experiences and they're because it's an emotional, marketing is all about emotion yep. and selling the outcome, not the utility. So they're upset because they ran out of toilet paper. They're upset because the house wasn't clean. That's when I want to catch them and get them into my funnel. All right, listen up. If you are not using Price Labs, you are literally throwing money in the trash. Dynamic pricing is a must in our industry. If you don't know what that is, dynamic pricing is just a fancy term for supply and demand pricing. When demand is high, Price Labs will get you high price bookings. And when demand is low, it will fill up your calendar while the competition overprices themselves and leaves everything vacant. I was dumb in the beginning of my short-term rental journey. I thought I could do it all without Price Labs. So one day I just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm gonna try this thing out. And immediately my income went up 15 to 20% on my listings. I really was kicking myself. I should have been using this from the beginning. So don't make the same mistake as me. Get started with your free 30-day trial at fearlesskyle.com forward slash Price Labs. Or even better, how about getting 25% off your first six months as a thank you for being a part of the STR six-figure formula membership. That's right. Go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to become a member and claim that discount today. So you're talking right now about the guests. And I actually just did a video recently on Instagram, this same situation, but with co-hosting clients, yep, right? 100%. All of these, like we're at one of our areas is Bass Lake, California. Well, all these houses in Bass Lake, California have been run by Bass Lake rentals or these, you know, like 40 year old companies that just barely got a website and don't know how to use Airbnb and VRBO. And they're just working off of referrals only. And I'm like, that's not good management. I'm going to go to all these owners who are not having good experiences with their management and that'll be the solution for them. But you're talking about the guest side, either way is marketing. So when you talk about, you know, I guess going back to the one or $2 for Facebook ads, I feel like most people I talk to just don't even know where to start mm -hmm. with Facebook ads, right? Like they don't understand what audience should I choose? Or like, how do I even set up, you know, a Facebook ads account? Like what are just just, I don't need the strategy. I just want people to hear right now all the fears that are going on in their head of like, I don't understand Facebook ads. And here, just maybe a couple things from you to simplify it so that it gets them past that fear and say like, okay, I'm going to go try out Facebook ads now. Yep. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to start with the intermediate version. You don't even need to have an ads account, but take your, if you don't know how to like go to Canva and turn five or six images into a video, if you do go to Canva and turn your, your top, whatever your top five images are in your Airbnb listing, go put those into Canva and put those into a video. If you don't know how to do that, go to Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com and pay a guy 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Say, hey man, can you put these five images and turn it into a cool video for you? Here's my listing. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. It's that simple. Within a day, you've got a video that comes back post it to your Facebook page, post it to your property's Facebook page, and then go in and boost it. 
right, and boost it, but make sure you set the geographic area that you want to target. So like Bass Lake, Kyle's not targeting people where I live in Nashville. I have been to Bass Lake a few times when I grew up in Bakersfield. He's targeting probably Central California, like Bakersfield is a target. Visalia is a target. Paso Robles might even be a target because it's different than Lake Nacimiento. People go there for different reasons, probably up to Madera, Modesto, Porterville, all those different areas. But he's not going to San Francisco. He's not going to L.A. So get the targeting down. It's really simple. You can just put a pin right on your property and then say, I want to go 50 miles, 100 miles, just to keep this easy. And then just put 5, 10, or 20 bucks behind it and boost it. That's it. Facebook's algorithm is so good today. It's smarter than Google's algorithm when they're trying to target people. Let Facebook do all the work. We don't have to get into all this mumbo-jumbo of targeting and all that type of stuff. Just understand what you're trying to do is get brand impressions with that type. You're not trying to drive conversion. Nobody's going to see your ad for the very first time. Well, maybe somebody might get lucky. It's like fishing. You might drop the wrong bait at the wrong depth right on top right. of a, a fish's mouth, and they're going to grab it. Uh, but it's really about branding that gives you other opportunities. So you don't have to go through all the big stuff. That's how you get started. And really the easiest way is just go in and put up a post. And you can take your five top five images, put up a post, write some really nice copy, and then just boost and put 10 bucks behind it and do it within 50 miles of your property. If people are coming from within 50 miles, which you can do in Bass Lake, right? You, you can't do that at Destin or you know, those types of places because they're coming from everywhere. So that's probably the easiest way to get started with direct response ads. You can get way more in depth with retargeting and all that type of stuff. The second place, Kyle, I would say is, and this gets a little bit more technical, but everybody should be re retargeting. Uh, if you have a, if you spent the money for a direct booking website or a sales page or market my STR or any of that different type of stuff, you should be retargeting people that are visiting your website. Right, So I'm sure if you go and click on Kyle's website at fearlesskyle.com and he's selling a product, you guys are in a paid program, you didn't come in and buy whatever program this is the first time that you saw Kyle on Instagram. No. You had to watch four or five of his reels. You subscribed to his email list. You consumed content from him so that way Kyle had to earn your trust because Kyle's competing with me and Mike and TJ and everybody else that's out there. Right, So he's probably retargeting you either with email, text message, you know, Facebook ads, whatever that is. So retargeting your direct booking site is something that's absolutely critical. We can't do that with Airbnb and Verbo. We don't own those assets, so we can't get a pixel in there. But I think that the retargeting component is critical. Too many people get into this, Kyle, and they think, oh, Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, TikTok, Instagram, all the platforms have them. And really, if you don't retarget, you're wasting your money. So the, there's a metric that I use. If you're going to spend a dollar on any type of direct response ad, you've got to spend 25 to 30 cents on the retargeting. If you're not willing to learn how to do that or make that investment, then don't do it. I love it. So the, the simple part that I really heard, right? Because everyone here has a Facebook. We're doing this live in a Facebook group. So everyone should also have a professional Facebook page for their properties or a property. And just by posting it there and then clicking boost and throwing a few bucks at it and picking your pin location of where you want that to be targeted, that's something anyone can do. That's really simple. Correct. What you just got into with retargeting goes down a different route. And one of the things I want to ask you about, because this was something that I did not learn the name of until just a few years back, and it's changed the way that I market a lead magnet. You talk mm -hmm. a lot about lead magnets. Can you just share a little bit more 
about what it is and how you're using it in your STR business, especially. A lead magnet is just an exchange of information um, that I kind of learned that from HubSpot in 2007. And you take information that would be valuable for your guests and you go into Canva or you go into a Google Doc and you create a document. And it's a, then you save it as a PDF. And I would write the document in like Google Docs or Word. Then I would go in and just grab a template uh, inside of Canva and use their graphics that are already there, make it look pretty, and then put it in a PDF. And this could be the you know top five fishing holes at Bass Lake that only locals know about, right? It could be the, the, the worst restaurants or the best sushi places, the best hiking trails uh, in the Sierra Nevadas, whatever it is. There's a website called Where the Locals Eat. Right. And it's so different than going to TripAdvisor or any of these big mega sites. It's like the real stuff of if I go visit Kyle in Fresno, I'm going to say, dude, where are we getting the best like carne asada tacos that, you know, we're going to be afraid to drive up to the taco truck because that's usually where you get the best stuff. Right. I don't want the, the most popular steakhouse. They usually suck. So that same think about the information. I always want you to think about where the locals eat. And if you think about that, you're the local. This is why I believe that those of you that are not going and seeing your own properties before you buy them, before you contract them as a co-host, whatever, that you don't end up with an intimate relationship with the property and the surroundings, you can't serve your guest. And you sure as hell can't market as well as I can because I'm going to become an expert in every, whether I own the property or co-host it. I know everything about that property and everything that my guests are going to want to do around that property, and I'm going to exploit it, and I'm going to put it into a lead magnet. So top five sushi restaurants, best trails, all the stuff that I've talked about, each one of those can go into Canva, you create a PDF, and then send it out via email, put it behind a Facebook ad, share it on social media. Most importantly, the, the social media platform that nobody talks about, take that beautiful front page graphic. The Canva's already designed for you. I can't, I draw stick figures, so don't think, I know how to, I don't know how to use Photoshop and that type of stuff. Canva's Photoshop for dummies like me. So I take, I write my content, drop it into Canva, save it as a PDF, and then I go to this little platform, which used to be the fastest growing social media platform ever called Pinterest, and I start pinning it. So if I'm going to do something about trails, like I'm doing all over for my, my newest Montana property right now, I'm in all the outdoor stuff, all the, you know, RV, you know, uh, you know, people that are living in RVs. Um, people that are hikers, all that type of stuff, even for ATVs and snowmobiling and all that type of stuff. I'm taking these things and I'm using those trails in all these different formats to generate leads. Yeah. Because I've got like 17 trail heads within two miles of my property, right? So I'm looking at what are whatever people are going to do. If you're in the Smokies, I mean, think about the stuff. Most people don't know what Dollywood does during Christmas or you know, even Halloween, unless they're hardcore Dollywood fans, right? So share that stuff with them. The butter, not the butterfly, the, um, in the Smokies, there's this whole lightning bug thing. And it only lasts like five or 10 days or something through the year. And trying to get tickets is like trying to get Taylor Swift tickets, right? So share that stuff, make it public, put, distribute it any way you can on all the channels. But there's one thing that happens. There's this exchange when Kyle wants my lightning bug PDF, he's got to give me something very valuable, and that's his email address. Yes. And Kyle knows he's going to get marketed to right behind that. So the number one thing is don't sell to Kyle once he gets that. Don't just say, hey, come book my Airbnb right off the bat. Create more value. That's more why we've got to create yep. a funnel of information because I still, just like you guys had to learn who Kyle was, how he's going to benefit you, he had to earn your trust. 
before you would buy from him. It's the same thing with our guests. Yeah, and, and that's the thing I think that I really want people to grasp right now. Whether you love getting those emails from Bill and I after you download our free thing or not, it's it's building a relationship with that person. So take that same, like I would recommend anyone here listening, go and download something from Bill's site or one of Bill's lead magnets. Doesn't even have to be from STRs. Just Bill, Bill, what's what's your website? Uh, buildstrwealth.com and even non-STRs, Bill, billfaith.com. F-A-E-T-H. Yeah, there you go. So go to either of those sites. Bill's going to have lead magnets on there and just look at how he communicates with you through that process after you download that lead magnet. Take that same idea and shoot, you might get so excited that you're going to go buy Bill's stuff because he's a great marketer, but also take that same idea and now apply it to your STRs. And what can I do? What free information can I give away where it's so enticing to potential guests or potential co-hosting leads that they'll want to get that for free and be okay with me sending them emails because I've provided so much value on the front end that when I, they get an email from me, they're still going to be excited because I keep on giving more and more and more value to eventually. It's just like, if I'm getting all this for free, what am I going to get when I actually give this guy some money? Right. And that's, that's the idea behind a lead magnet. And I love that idea of like, you know, Hey, pinpointing what's the, the best places for fly fishing. What's the best places to eat. One of the things, Bill, though, that you can do is even when they do become a client of yours, there's still other lead magnets that you can create, especially if they went through Airbnb and we want to transition them over to a direct booking. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, if I could give one one little plug here and it's free content, but if you go to the Build STR Wealth YouTube channel and there three weeks ago, I do a Superhost Sunday thing every Sunday. It's called the Guest Transition. Right. And that's kind of what Kyle's talking about. How do I bring the guest from having a good experience, a great experience at my property and get them to come back? Well, that starts all at the very, the very first part of communication. So it's like this whole 17 step process. And I don't want that to scare you because it's your standard messaging that you would give to a guest for check in and all that stuff is uh, included. But there's one thing if you weren't at my SDR Wealth Con Conference this year, it's my welcome message. Hey, Kyle, my name's Bill. I'm going to be your host at Dragonfly down in Gulf Shores. I really appreciate you booking our family beach house. Uh, I know you're not going to be here for about five or six months, but if you need anything between now and then, now you have my personal cell phone number, just wanted to say hi and put a name of the face. Nobody fucking does that because it takes too long. It's too hard. It's not. I got the, I got the phone number in Airbnb. I literally do that. I personalize it to Kyle. I text it to him. I have never had one person reply and say that's creepy. So that's the initiation because nobody does that. So that's kind of Kyle. I'm going to answer your question. How do I build, have I built three $30 million businesses? I do the stuff that nobody else does mm. and I do it better. Right? So that's something I can't even tell you how many messages I got. People are blown away. I did that on stage at the conference. It's simple. It's easy, but literally there was a thousand people in that room. I guarantee you less than 10 or 15 people are probably doing that today. Yep. And that is a huge deal. So then you go into guest transition, just the personalization. There was something I said in that video that I just did for you that's really critical. And this is how I sign off on every single message to my guests. And I have this transition. It's every beach house, every cabin, every property, whether it's I own it or I co-host it, it's personal. I don't use my brand ever. And it's the family beach house. It's the family cabin. And it's Bill Faith. Then it's Bill and Bria, my wife. Part of the strategy for us on our, our direct booking pages in my profile, it's a picture of me and my wife together. Why? Because that resonates with couples. 
right? Now I, I have a resonation with female and male. Second part of this is, is when I transition to go from Bill to Bill and Bria, and the last two messages or emails that I send are from the faith family. And in there, and I think it's maybe the day after check-in or something, I reference my daughter's names, which are Oakley and Gentry. Because now I get better reciprocity when they know they're staying at a family property and that this is a family business. A lot of us, and I fell victim to this thing, I want to project myself being bigger. I want this big office, this big company. People are going to trust me more. People want more curated local personal experiences, specifically after COVID today, yeah. right? It's a different world that we live in. So that whole guest transition is critical. And then there's a funnel that you need to have afterwards. And one of the tips that I'll give you is I message, I text every one of my guests manually. It's not, it didn't used to be automated, Kyle, because I couldn't automate it. I do have it automated now and market my STR, but I send a message to them at, at, via text at four o'clock. And I just say, hey, Kyle, I hope you made it home safely. Uh, my cleaners have checked the property. We didn't find any personal effects. And I stopped that if we did and, and send a private one. Uh, but it's just that communication. And I let them know, hey, I'm going to be sending you a follow-up email tomorrow. Then that's email number one that goes out in the post-checkout funnel for all of my past guests. I've transitioned personally. And most importantly, I've set the table for Kyle. Kyle, and most people are probably thinking, well, what would he be emailing about? I've already checked out. That is just a heartfelt welcome or a heartfelt thank you to Kyle the next day. Thank you so much for staying with us. It means the world to us. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, I don't ask for a, re a review. I don't ask for any of that type of stuff. It's just thanking him, showing gratitude. And then I let him know, hey, by the way, I would love for you because you were such a great guest. This is at the end. I think it's in a PS, actually. We'd love for you because we're always looking for guests as awesome as you are, Kyle, to come and stay with us again uh, at this property or another property. I'm going to give you a 10% discount. And by the way, here is a link to our website. So you can see mm -hmm. all, the, so all the other properties. It's the only time that I ever send traffic from a marketing perspective to my website that has all of my properties on it. The only time that I will do that. So it's kind of that indoctrination, the solidification of yeah. a great relationship between guest and host. And then I'm introducing and giving them an incentive to make a decision quickly. So that is only available for seven days, that 10% discount. Uh, so there's always a limitation of urgency yeah. and exclusivity with anything that I do that's tied to discounted pricing and everything as a SDR host or a coach or anything I do in business. Bill, I could talk to you all day about marketing. I, I love I love chatting about this, but Team Fearless and, and 6FF community here, I hope you're understanding like this is this is going beyond just how do we give guests a great experience? How do we get more properties? How do we build a business? This is legitimately, how do we use this skill or learn this skill of marketing to make everything that we're doing in all asset, all facets of our business amazing, right? And so going back to the original title of this, as we're kind of getting close to the end of the, the time here, um, I have two questions for you. First of all, can you just tell people what those businesses were that you built to $30 million or more? And then I'll, I'll ask a follow-up question. Yeah. And I think the one that people may know, if you've ever gone to a shopping mall or on a cruise and you've seen glow in the dark miniature golf, um, like I used to have one in Hanford, actually, I started nice. it in Bakersfield, California, started in Olathe, Kansas, but then I started in California. So glow in the dark, like putt, putt golf in shopping malls and on cruise ships. Um, that was, that was our first 30, we did like $34 million for 30 to 35 million for almost seven, eight years pre COVID. 
The other one is Top Golf. Um, my partner and I have, and from Glow Golf, the glow in the dark putt putt business had uh, the technology that was uh, that's leveraged today. Uh, it's way different, way more advanced technology. But when they had their first, uh, they were opening their first uh, venue in London. God, I guess it was 2001 or 2002. We ended up getting involved and negotiated licensing deals and that type of stuff uh, oh, with cool. them. But I'll go all the way back to Bell Aqua Bikini. And I never did $30 million in sales in one year, Kyle. But here's the one thing I learned and the biggest thing that set me up for success for the rest of my life. One of my best friends was my CPA. And when I got an offer from Venus uh, Swimwear, which is still around today, to get acquired, it was about $2.8 million cash or it was a residual. And they were going to give me a five-year residual. I think it was 9%. And I was young and stupid. I'm like, dude, Jeff, let's take the cash, buddy. Go to Vegas, have a great weekend, you know, fly over on a private jet, just like every other idiot that would be, you know, in their mid-20s. And he, long story short, he convinced me to take a 7% royalty in perpetuity. And I've made a lot of money, more than $30 million, uh, off of that, right. having to do nothing. And that's one thing that I love about creating passive income businesses. So many of you know, if you know who I am, you know that I've done 29 startups now. I still have six uh, that are in business today that I am still generating passive income off of. So it's what I call creating an annuity as opposed to having an exit. Have you watched the movie Air yet? I just saw it uh, a couple of weeks ago on a flight flying someplace. Yes, I loved it. Yeah, when the mom says you're going to give us royalties yep. and most genius move ever. It's ironic. Uh, now you look at that move compared to what Messi's doing right now, you yeah. know, with Miami and the MLS. I don't know if you know what, how Apple's involved in Adidas and all that stuff. He's got a bigger deal than what Jordan got. It's crazy. That's crazy. Bill, a lot of these things, you know, we're, we're hearing you use the, the term brute force, right? You've, you've just and you've done the things that most people aren't willing to do. Still, though, at some point, you had to probably be second guessing yourself and saying, am I doing the right things? Or there had to be some of that fear involved of like, am I going down the right path? What, what's, was fear at any point in any of these journeys with these businesses? Always. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, but the biggest fear I had, Kyle, was leaving Bakersfield, California. Really? 21 years ago, my wife and I were driving out, I think, I know Highway 98, I think it goes up through Tehachapi. We head that way to go to Vegas. Like if you ever go to Vegas, you drive through Bakersfield and head out through Tehachapi and go out to Mojave that way. We were crying as we were leaving. I was so dialed in in that city. I mean, I was the the, the high school phenom golfer. I w was, you know, four ride to UCLA, played professional golf, the, the college golf coach there. And we just uprooted and moved to Nashville for uh, the glow in the dark miniature golf business in the Opry Mills Mall here. And I, we, my wife and I were, we were crying driving out of Baker. So we didn't, we didn't know if we were making the right decision or not. Wow. We'd only been married for a couple of years, two, three years. We were young. We, you know, we didn't have that much at that point. We weren't poor by any means. I mean, we had everything in the back of a 24 foot U-Haul and to drive cross country and do that uh, was pretty scary. But then the move we made, Kyle, I had a 90 day lease on the glow golf uh, space and then we got it renewed into what's called an, a short-term, long-term rent for six months. About 35, 40 days into that second six-month lease, we bought a house here in Nashville. And Nelson Fertitta, who was building a $24 million aquarium restaurant, 
came in and I remember getting a call from Gray. My manager said, hey, I need you to come down to the office. Are you in the mall? I said, no, I'm at home, but I can be there in 30 minutes. He's like, yeah, get here as quickly as you can. I knew it wasn't good. Basically, Nelson Pertitta was building his restaurant here. We had our little shitty glow golf here. He said, I'm stopping construction until you get rid of that Sanford and Sons game or whatever the hell it is. Because, I mean, ours is like a $50,000, you know, it was like painter sheathing in the windows. It was just hokey. It was so white trash compared. To, we just started this business and we lost our space. And mm. I'm like, oh my God, we just bought a house. We just moved across the country. What are we going to do? I thought we were going to go bankrupt. And then the, the next biggest thing outside of that, everything worked out well, obviously. I won't go through the whole right. story. Built it into like a $34 million business. But then we got flooded in Nashville on May 2nd and 3rd of 2010. I lost all my businesses right in the heart, right as we were just starting to recover, you know, from the downturn. And I thought I was going to have to literally, I was considering bankruptcy uh, at that time. And I was really, really close. And my partner, Reg Booth, and the Glow Golf business, uh, literally, that's when he gave me equity. That's when he propped us up, get, put Bria and I on $10,000 a month. You know, and it took us about five months, six months after we'd lost everything trying to save businesses. And there was no flood insurance, you know, and that type of stuff for coverage. I was scared shitless. And, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I vied that it would never happen financially again. And that's when we started making major changes in our life. So if you look at 2010, it was 13 years ago. I'm 50. That's at 37. I'd been an entrepreneur for almost 20 years by that point, right? Most of us don't get it. Most of us don't understand P&Ls, balance sheets. We don't know cash flow statements, forecasting. We don't have that experience, especially if you've been in a W-2 and now you're trying to co-host your way or invest your way out of getting out of that W-2. That's where you need to, you need to really try to absorb that knowledge. It's not just about, like you mentioned earlier, hospitality, hosting, marketing. It's about how do you effectively run and scale businesses, right? And at 17, 18, 20, even 30, I didn't, I didn't realize that. It takes a lot of experience and a lot of those, you know, peaks and valleys and, you know, falling on your face, you know, to, to be able to learn. So I've had fear many times. Those are the two biggest ones uh, that I can remember. The one thing I can tell you is I have not had any fear since 2015. And that's when a huge mentor, John Bairden, came into my life and I built out a life plan that co commingles business and life and set our goals and everything has gone according to plan because I've re-architected my life with intention. I love it. I love it, man. And one of the things that I think about when you talk about that, some people call it a money map, some people call it your money barometer, but uh, really wherever you're at, right, is not an accident. If you're always living paycheck to paycheck, if you win the lottery, eventually you'll be back to living paycheck to paycheck. If you are right now filing bankruptcy, but you were making a million dollars a year before, and that's where your barometer is really at. Soon enough, you're going to be back to making a million dollars a year. So a lot of that I hear, Bill, it just came down to desire and your mindset and not being okay with average. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. One of the other big things was setting goals that, as John Bairden, one of my mentors said, you can keep score with. They can be measured every single day yeah. and distill 10-year goals down into daily decisions and then audit. So my wife and I meet every Friday to audit the last seven days. And if we're not available to do it on Fridays, we do it on Thursday ahead of time or Saturday or immediately when we get back. But the, for us, it's not just the money plan. 
it's the life plan, meaning it has to do with intimacy in our relationship, it has to do with our kids, the amount of, you know, no cell phone time. Everything's commingled together. I think where people go wrong, at least in my opinion, or it was for me, is when they try to separate church and state, try mm -hmm. to separate entrepreneurship and home life. It has to be cohesive. Yeah. There is no separation. It's almost impossible, if, especially if you're doing multiple ventures at one time. So we've learned how to leverage both. Uh, at least for how it works for me and my wife. And it's different for, you know, every couple that are involved or not involved together. Uh, but once you map that out and you have some concrete goals, then you can kind of reverse engineer. And that's where the architecting comes in of how you're going to achieve them. I love it. Hey, Bill, how can we reverse engineer getting a top golf into Fresno? Because I think it would blow up here. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. We are not involved in that anymore. Um, uh -huh. I, you know what? I, I will bet there's probably one in the works. I mean, it's a good enough size city. They won't go to Bakersfield or anyplace else. I don't even know. Where are they at in California? LA, there's San one Francisco? In, um, right outside of Sacramento. I can't remember the name of the city. But I, I, I think that and then probably L.A. are the L only other ones. Fresno's just... a big golf city. Big, it, huge it golf is. city. I don't, I don't, if, if there was a top golf in Fresno, uh, that person is going to make the biggest ROI for top golf and anywhere in the world, because it's, there's nothing to do here, Bill. Everyone goes out of town on the weekends. People would now stay here and they would well, go hey, to top be, golf. Be careful what you wish for. Cause that's a good thing. If they're going to Bass Lake and all the places. Yeah, going, right? ex exactly. Exactly. Bill brother, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. We're going to keep it now in the six figure formula community to answer additional questions, especially about marketing and uh, their short-term rental. Uh, businesses, but thank you for helping our audience to conquer the world of short-term rentals. You are awesome. Um, really quick before we leave though, how can people connect with you? Bill Faith 73 on Instagram, F-A-E-T-H, buildstrwealth.com, billfaith.com uh, is going to be the easiest way. You can go through Kyle. I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions and kind of pride myself on probably hopefully being one of the most accessible, you know, coaches and people in our industry. I mean, I, Kyle, you can give my cell phone number. Um, it's 615-948-4569. Um, if you have marketing questions, I'm happy to help. I want to see everybody, you know, be successful in this business. And it's a little bit more challenging now than it was during COVID. I think if you got in after May of 2020, it's a different world. It's, I kind of feel like it's 2017, 18 again, yeah. uh, for myself, but the, the marketing's important. So happy yeah. to help you. If you, if you have any, any questions, um, you know, just reach out. Awesome. Uh, and guys, in case you're not seeing it, faith is F-A-E-T-H, not I-T-H. All right, Bill. Thanks so much, brother. Thank you, my friend. Have a great day. Thank you, everybody. All right. We'll leave all of those links down below in the YouTube description, also on the show notes for the podcast. So you can go and check out Bill, get connected with him. He gave you his cell phone number. How awesome is that? How many times have you ever been able to just say, hey, I've got the cell phone number of a guy who's built three $30 million businesses? Not too many times, I'm guessing. So go and connect with Bill. Take advantage of all the resources that he gave you. And as always, tune in every time when we have another episode of the Fearless Investor Podcast. So we'll see you next time here on the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we're helping you to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Hey, Fearless Investor community. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Fearless Investor. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And for more free content, check out my YouTube channel, also called The Fearless Investor, and our website, www.fearlesskyle.com. Until next time, keep on conquering the world of short-term rentals.